Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Hello from Peru. I just recorded a little transmission about memory and memory recall. Um, some philosophizing about that, as well as how that relates to the craft of writing, perhaps the craft of um, autobiography, but also the craft of healing and and being intimate with our own personal narrative. And this was in response. I've asked for questions about Hungry Ghosts of Paradise, either the novel's themes, any themes that you want me to talk about in more depth, or the craft of writing. And these are things, you know, I love to nerd out about it. I love to talk about it. So if you have questions or requests, let me know. But as I um, put the question out there, a good number of people, like the thing I got asked about the most was about memory recall. And like, how did I remember all these details? Did I need to fabricate anything? How did I go back and look up things, documents, calendar stuff, text, etc., to facilitate that process? So I just kind of mused about memory and all of that stuff for around half an hour and I would love to do this again so let me know if there's anything you'd like me to talk about and then this is about Hungry Ghosts of Paradise so if you haven't listened to the book it's on the podcast you can just search Hungry Ghosts of Paradise on you know Magic of the Spheres on your podcast app um, and go back to chapter one and Another announcement, I am teaching evolutionary astrology again this February 2023 in a program called Dragon of the Moon and Evolutionary Astrology Initiation. And so this is a tight-knit community, a program to build a vocabulary, build a literacy together of soul-centered astrology, astrology that resources Pluto and the lunar nodes for a portrait of who we are as a soul. This language has been so compelling and life-giving to me. It's something that I've grown up alongside of and I love to share it. Um, I think it's a really profound gateway to really having a dialogue with our soul and to understand astrology um, as a language of soul, of the world soul, as well as our own intricate, multifaceted, complex soul narratives that we come into this life with. So if you want to learn more about this program and study astrology with me, Click the link in the notes for Dragon of the Moon to learn more and apply. And I will leave us to this transmission about memory now. I recently asked for some questions about Hungry Ghosts of Paradise so that I could create a podcast episode answering them. And so these could be questions about the novel's themes or the writing process or the craft element. And so far, I got a few questions and a lot of them had to do with memory. This question essentially of how did you remember so much? How did you remember things in detail? Did you um, have to look at diary entries or old text messages? Like, what was your process with memory? And then also, how did you kind of navigate the space of like making things up? Like, is it all memory or did you fabricate details when you couldn't remember things? So this really lit me up because I got to think about my relationship with memory 
and about the craft of memory and the craft of writing. And something that I realized from taking notes about this topic and thinking about it was that when we make art, we're learning how to be ourselves, right? Like we're learning what our gifts are, like what works for us. And there's a lot of, um, there's rules that you can learn if you study a type of art formally. You'll learn things about like normalized kind of things in the field. And I find that something that's really fun about art making is that you can break rules or you can find your own process. So I hope that what I'm sharing, you might find inspiration in it directly, but I hope that more broadly, it can be inspiring for like finding your own methods. So about memory, first, I want to share just like a broad kind of mythic perspective, because there's this goddess, Nemosyne, and that's spelled, let me look it up again. It is M-N-E-M-O-S-Y-N-E, Nemosyne. And I found out recently that she's conjunct my midheaven. Um, and then I was also tracking like a few other goddesses and archetypes and it led me to reading this book by Jeanette Paris that was about Hermes, Dionysus, and Nemosyne, one of my favorite reads um, in a while. And what Jeanette Paris was talking about with Nemosyne was that there used to be um, more cultural value placed on memorization. So there were people that would, you know, memorize an entire Bible, if I remember correctly, if that was even possible right? Like these kind of unimaginable feats or like memorizing like long epic poetry and being able to recite them. And that in contemporary culture, we don't actually have the same need for it because we've developed technologies, um, hard drives, computers, we take photographs, like we have ways of documenting things so that we don't have to actually hold the memory ourselves. And when I think about memory and what was like significantly magical for me about writing this was that I called it Hungry Ghosts of Paradise, this novel, right? So there's a haunting, there's a ghostliness. And I felt that actually in the process of exercising these ghosts by writing the story that my brain stopped having to remember them, that for whatever reason, whatever design inside of my consciousness, I was really holding on to these memories. Um, and they weren't all at my conscious place of register. A lot of them were actually buried. So I'm going to talk about this in this episode too, about memory recall, but they were there, right? And what I've noticed is that in each novel that I've written, I have um, The Garden of Sleeping Hammers and Hungry Ghosts of Paradise. When I look back at what I've written it's almost like the physical um, piece of art, the physical writing has become the hard drive. And so I'm no longer holding that consciousness. I'm no longer holding those memories in my brain, right? So I think about memory in some sense as a mechanism of recording, a mechanism of storytelling. There's a desire for lineage. There's a desire to pass something on. And I have a really you know, early relationship with memory and that like one of my 
enchanting kind of childhood memories was watching um, rain droplets collect and coalesce on the window um, while my mom was driving. And for some reason, that's the image that I have as I was also starting to have a train of thought. And at some point, I would arrive somewhere and I would wonder, how did I get here? And I would go back and I would trace every idea that I had that led me to this sudden, novel, interesting daydream. And I think that because I did that as a child, um, you know, either I was wired that way because I have this nemozyne thing or, you know, other chart factors, but memory just, I think I built neural pathways and I still find myself doing that, that sometimes when I'm lost in a reverie and then I have this like emotion that comes over me and then I'm like, what was I even thinking about that was inspiring this sense of awe or this sense of dread? And I'll remember it until, you know, like I fish or like I scan my brain until it shows up. So I have a way, I think, of personally just having a drive to record and to remember that you could probably find in a lot of symbols in my chart. But another thing that I thought of was also that I'm a Mercury ruled Jupiter and a Jupiter ruled Mercury, if we use traditional rulerships, and that I have Jupiter in Virgo and Mercury in Pisces. And part of the way that I relate to storytelling is that it's in the details, right? Like, and that the details tell a story. Um, and so within Hungry Ghosts of Paradise, there is a significant amount of things that I've forgotten. But there's also a significant amount of details that I remembered. And I allowed the details I remembered to tell the story for the most part. And so you'll have random things in the book that aren't necessarily important for the plot as a whole, but it creates an ambiance or it creates a mood. And so this was a rule that I felt I broke in terms of craft, where somewhere I picked up the idea that everything you include in fiction or in a story needs to be picked up later that you don't just have random experiences sprinkled in a book or in a story, like you, you need to tie up those loose ends and that's what makes narrative compelling. But a scene that I can recall, for example, in Hungry Ghosts of Paradise is the farm party scene that's like early in the novel. And there's a scene of talking to this band who's telling a kind of spooky story about an island where you can't penetrate the center of it. And there's a moment where I, as the narrator, ask him, you know, where did you learn all of that? And I see him, his eyes rapidly darting back and forth. And there's like a blue light and a black light on either side of him. And he's deciding between truth and lie. Now, some of those details would be relevant, right? The blue lights and the black lights do show up throughout the book, so it's not completely random. However, that particular vignette with that character was just a passing experience. And what I experience in my own perception is that I just track a lot of details, um, moments that feel compelling or cinematic or interesting to me, and I just catalog them. And when I was going back to kind of excavate this story, I had a storyboarding process where I would um, storyboard several chapters at once. That way I could um, be pretty on top of it in terms of not missing important details and having to edit them back in. 
Whenever I did miss something important, I just created a flashback scene to compensate for it. And no one knows the better, right? It was super fun to just be like, I'm getting away with this. Like, because people would ask me, like, what do you do? You know, if you remember something and you didn't include it in time, you just create a flashback scene. (laughs) No big deal, right? You probably need the flashback scene because it is actually a significant segue to another plot point. And so it can actually be functional to to just allow memory to come up in whatever order it wants to. But um, I would storyboard several chapters at once and I would just write down all the details that I could remember and I would put them on paper and start to organize them in a logical sequence. Like I don't necessarily remember them in order. So I would have to get really kind of forensic and start to kind of like detective out which possibly came first, right? And I would actually look in my photos and my calendar and old text messages. And I would look to the documentation of my life that I did have to get dates um, of when certain things happened so that I could piece it all together. But when I was just doing this from even just memory and kind of storyboarding details together, something that I noticed was that all the details I remembered were precious. They created a kind of dreamlike ambiance of the novel, even if they weren't important for the development of the plot in any particular way. And so I think that as a kind of enchantment art or an illusion art, the amount of things I remembered actually obscures how much has been forgotten, right? And I found that interesting. Another thing that I would do, um, a lot of these memories had been repressed. I became allergic to these memories. I didn't want to think about it, Um, especially the memories of like the highs and like the really good things. Those were really hard for me to actually hold and accept. Um, I did remember, you know, some of the more traumatic scenes in more detail, but the tender moments and the really sweet moments I had shoved into a recess of consciousness of like, we can't go there. It's too painful. And what I had noticed throughout my embodiment journey and as I was getting, you know, as the years were going on was that this was costing me, that I was having um, a blockage, that I was experiencing good memories as kinds of trauma, right? And so I one time did like a trauma release exercise. that involves you do these exercises that make your body shake and it is supposed to relieve trauma. And as my body was shaking, I started to remember all of these positive memories and it was really striking to me how much I was um, repressing the good, so to say. But I also, um, in terms of the memories being buried, they were buried because there was no significant container or use for them right? Like I was spending my energy working on my business, becoming a better astrologer, um, learning how to be a teacher of astrology. And I created some circumstances for myself in terms of financial stability or career stability where I could actually like open and relax a little bit more and kind of also peel back like, well, what's next in my life, right? Like I've been on this whole like embodiment journey for several years now. And in that space of having um, 
maybe built some more capacity in my nervous system or just had more space and more time for myself. Um, and with time and with certain forms of maturation, it's like I could go back to this compartmentalized memory box and pull things out, but not just pull them out to like look at, you know, an old photo album. But the container of the novel itself gave me a reason, like a really good reason to go back to these painful memories. And what I noticed is that I had to coax them out, that some chapters were particularly, you know, easy, like I remembered everything in detail already. And other chapters were really hazy and fuzzy, and I kind of had to dig more and do this kind of process of... um intentionally triggering the memories by focusing on trying, you know, like efforting to remember in whatever ways that I was doing that. And then also stepping back and allowing my subconscious to fill it in. You know, like when a word is on the tip of your tongue and you can't figure out what it is, and then suddenly it just surfaces and you you have the word. So I think that there's something of kind of like a filing system or a memory data bank where it may be compartmentalized, it may be somewhere, but if you need it, if you call upon it, it may start to reveal itself. I also would have this experience of, especially when I was driving, but I would listen to certain songs that really got me in the headspace or the mood of the book, and I would start to get like um, mused by the novel, like certain scenes would start to appear to me in more detail, and because I was writing the novel, I could, I could do it. Like I would see, you know, have these memories returned to me and it was exciting. Even if it was challenging, even if it was triggering, it was like I was in the, the journey or in the material. Whereas certainly if I wasn't writing the book, I would not have created the space to ruminate and think about those memories and try to remember them in as much detail as possible. And I know this isn't really actually like a pretty, it's like a really weird image, but I think about um, hard candies and like sucking on a hard candy as like a very cancerian activity where it's like, you're just kind of like circling around something. And I noticed that when I would meditate on a memory, like a hard candy or something, I would just keep chewing on it and keep tasting it until it began to reveal more and more facets of itself and more notes. I had interesting things happen too, where like during the eclipses in May, I had some really intense headaches and I went to a body worker and asked for a massage to focus on my um, head and neck and shoulders. And when I was getting this body work, I had all of these memories come back to me of the, um, the crash scene and it was really dramatic like it wasn't just factual memories it wasn't just images it was like I remembered how I actually felt um so much so that I was like in tears and having this whole release which I did not really anticipate would happen but I started to realize like oh it made sense that I was having these headaches and that in the pursuit of alleviating the pain this other thing came through let me check my notes <laughs> in terms of memory. Notes also help. Okay, so I want to talk about making stuff up versus what was actually memory recall. 
the memory recall was like the skeleton, the basic kind of bones. Um, and there was only so much I could do, right? There's only so much I could remember in perfect detail. And then if I'm going to embellish or flesh it out, I do need to make things up. So some of the things in the book, um, you know, it's not, it's a story of memory and we know that memory is not the most reliable narrator anyway. And what I was cared, you know, caring more about, I already said at the beginning of the book that I was obscuring details for privacy's sake. Um, so I had creative liberties to make things up. And I feel as though I didn't say things that weren't true, like I didn't deviate um, from the truth, but I had to translate events that I no longer remember in enough detail to tell thoroughly or correctly. And so an example that I can use of this is like the Svetlana and Sergei characters. You know, those were their actual names. Um, you know, they're not, they're like alter egos um, of myself and Aiden. Those were their names, but I don't remember a single word that either of them said. And so when I created a little monologue for Svetlana to say, I just made that up. And in terms of making things up, I'm going for the mood. I'm going for translating what was real or what was felt. And to me, if I can accomplish that, then that is, you know, memory recall for the sake of creative fiction. You know, it's an autobiographical work, and I would also call it creative fiction. Another thing that I wanted to talk about was the way that um, the passage of time in works of art is a um, a craft, right? Like when you're watching a film, you'll see the um, you'll see the scenes cut to something else. So your attention is drawn to one image, and suddenly the scene cuts and you're brought somewhere else. And in terms of memory recall, it works a little bit like that, where it's like, yeah, there's gaps in memory, but it's kind of like a scene cut. And so it can actually work even because in um, telling a story, you do have to decide, you know, you're not telling every time you step into a car and close the car door or every morning when you wake up, like, you're only including significant details and there just needs to be a thread of continuity. So as many details as I could remember, and then ones I had to fabricate to fill in. Um, and then if you think about the film, you know, the camera kind of jumping from scene to scene, you can see that it, it can create an ambiance. You don't have to remember everything. So I think I'm going to leave this one to be just about memory because there's a few other offshoots or topics that I could talk about, but maybe I'll just do that another time. But memory is a neural pathway and it can be emphasized. Like you can develop or enhance your memory by doing exercises. I've never done memory boosting exercises on purpose. I think I just do ones that come from my natural possessiveness over my perception. Like I will take in an image and be like, I, I want to remember that. And so I've written it down. And so I think that actually the act of journaling or the act of tracking your impressions does build more of a muscle memory um, for memory itself, right? So you can 
you can develop your memory more if you want. And I think it's also interesting to philosophize around how memory is contested in the sense that there can be a value to leave the past behind and just, you know, be present or look toward the future, be in this, you know, the realm of possibility. To ruminate on memories is not always useful or helpful. Um, and so I think we need to think about why memory, you know, like what are we holding on to? And the reason that I wrote the novel was because I was holding on to these memories. And this was the final thing I could imagine to actually fully exercise the haunting that I was living with. And I have been really amazed at how it worked. And so that's why the thing around Nemosyne was so compelling to me that Jeanette Paris presented in her book, you know, this sense that when we create a hard drive, the brain no longer needs to hold on to this memory recall. And remembering these details of this story, you know, of the one who we call Aiden, um, of that whole experience, it was not pleasant for me to hold on to that. It was a um, blockage. It was a trauma. And I really had actually tried to move on. I tried to fill my life with other things. I tried, you know, and essentially I was successful at filling my life with other things and creating um, a stronger life structure and a stronger identity and like biding my time before I could go back and like unpack that material in the way that I did. Um, but if I were just to kind of brush over it with like, oh, you know, don't be stuck in the past, just move on. I would have missed something. It's like there was actually an intelligence to the way that my brain, my consciousness was holding on to all of that. And I thought, you know, I did a lot of work to release it in a lot of different ways. And it's really teaching me that it was like actually just writing a book about it and recording it was what put the nail in the coffin of like the whole grief process. So I guess I will share a little bit. Um, outside of memory is that as I was writing this book and kind of externalizing, creating a hard drive of what I was otherwise holding on to and couldn't let go of, no matter how hard I tried um, to alchemize it into a work of art, I started to have new experiences, like genuinely new experiences. And I started to touch places in myself and in my life that surpassed the level of eros or joy or aliveness that I felt in the story that I was telling and that I was mourning really those past heights and the sense that I had lost access to them, that I was stuck, that I was stagnant. And so when I think about that in connection to memory, um, right, like if we are really stuck in say tradition, we're living a memory and we're carrying the memory forward. And I think that there might be an intelligence to how we decide to carry memories forward or how we decide to change memories um, or alchemize them in some sense. And the denial of memory, the repression of them is a tactic, but I'm not sure it's ultimately effective. I think it is a compartmentalization. I think it buys time. It might be, you know, for example, if you are under a lot of pressure, um, in your life, like sometimes we don't actually have the space to like unpack some layer of childhood trauma 
right? And then there may be times where it becomes really true of like, I need to face this. I need to look at these memories. I need to interact with them in a new way. So there is an art of timing, I think, that goes into it. But memory recall and just this, it actually kind of surprised me that memory was a question that a lot of, you know, in terms of those of you that ask questions so that I could podcast about it, that memory was the one that got asked about the most, that it was the most common theme. And I didn't actually realize that memory was um, a theme of the book, but of course it is, right? And I just didn't see it that way per se because memory was just part of the craft or it was like a mechanism to get the story, right? To kind of surface it. Um, But there was space to philosophize, I guess, within that about the nature of memory. And what else do I want to say? around this well one thing is that um memory is a form of oracle i believe like you can be shuffling a tarot deck and pull a card but sometimes if you have a spontaneous memory recall it is meaningful right or like you can choose to see it as a visitation like we get a visitation from a dream or a dream image And personally, I think I just really delight in um, interesting memories that surface, like uh, memory can be very triggering or very, you know, connected to something unpleasant. And therefore, you know, we create this kind of defense or it feels like sticky or we don't want to go there. But it's like, how often do you, you know, smell something and it spontaneously reminds you of a summer that was really beautiful? Or you just kind of spontaneously remember something from childhood and it's not, um, it's just like a particular image. And there's something about that that really fascinates me. And when memories come up, I like to situate them in the context of what's happening, right? And just, I don't have to make meaning out of it, but I like to notice it. And I've found it very interesting that in like, intimate encounters, um, sex essentially, or body work um, as two kind of similar, you know, it's working with the body, um, how much memory comes up. And that might just be something, I don't know how universal that is, or if it's just a moon and Taurus kind of experience for me. Um, But it's like, it's stored there, right? And it gets touched or it gets like awakened. And having difficult or challenging memories is something that I can relate to. I think a lot of us have that, especially when, you know, something isn't resolved and it is a trauma memory. But what of the magic of being in such a deep relationship with ourselves that we're not frightened or startled by our own memories? And I'm not saying this as a kind of judgment or like, you know, you need to get there or something like that, but as an open invitation, right? Because I recognized at some point that when memories came up of really sweet moments with the person we call Aiden, that I responded as though it was a threat. It hurts to remember those things. So I don't even want to go there, but it was a part of me. It was a part of my life. It was a part of my history. And to be so squeamish about it, 
or to be in rejection of it was to reject a part of my life and to reject a part of myself. And so while it can be not the best to ruminate on memories for no particular reason, right? Like, and just get lost in the kind of memory cyclone and like not be super present in the moment if you're inclined toward that. Um, I do think there's something to be said around befriending and neutralizing and kind of coming into a, an okayness or a celebration or a acceptance of the memories that we have because they're not, um, they're like reoccurring daydreams and they're threads of our own consciousness. And if you are, you know, seeking to tell a story or to understand your own history or to, you know, create a thread of continuity, the memories that relate count. Um, and it's just an interesting psychic territory to really dive into that. I think I'll leave it here. Um, and maybe I'll do another one of these in terms of talking about the book and like the craft process. But yeah, if you have other questions or things you'd like me to talk about in terms of the craft of writing, the craft of the book or the themes of the book, I would love to do that. <laughs>